You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back. It's Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, being joined, of course, by Jamie D'Amico as we are here each and every week, even during the off season, we have found new ways to be creative with our Bills-related content by doing our state of the Buffalo Bills series. Uh, as you all know by now, we are running through the different positions so far of the Buffalo Bills, their strengths and weaknesses from the 2020 season and spinning ahead to what the team has in store in 2021. We've done a setting the stage preview podcast. We've done our quarterbacks, our running backs, the wide receivers. Last week was a little bit nauseating with the tight ends. And uh, Jamie, I know you and I had a kind of a bad taste in our mouth at the end of that one. Yeah, it didn't feel too good. But, you know, you said we're being creative coming up with topics to talk about. I want the listeners to know that John Boccasino is the brains behind this operation. And I've contributed little when it comes to ideas. So (laughs) let's give credit where it's due. Square on the shoulders of the Boccasinator. (laughs) <laughs> nice, Jamie. I appreciate the kudos. I listen. We try to. It, the off season's long, and it, it can drone on. And now there's there's things to talk about. There's been you know re-signings, uh, you know, trades, free agency. The league uh, technically Wednesday are when players can officially sign. Although I love this term. There's the legal tampering. Uh, oh, right. Phase where <laughs> what what a ridiculous concept. Legal tampering. Yeah, I I mean. As if agents and general managers weren't working out deals at the scouting combine every year, and now they're doing it probably via text message. I mean, it's not as ludicrous as the NBA, where at 12.01, you'll find out that Gordon Hayward signed a 10-year, $300 million contract with the Charlotte Hornets. But look, people are negotiating all the time. They're working out these deals. And Bills fans, we'll touch on this real quickly um, leading into our podcast. As we all know, um, the Bills were, were are very cash-strapped uh, heading into the 2021 season. But give Brandon Bean, as much as Jamie wants to give me kudos, I spin those around and heap them upon the feet of Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, how he found a way to manipulate and maneuver the salary cap uh, confines to lock down both linebacker Matt Milano and starting right tackle Daryl Williams to fairly team-friendly contracts. Bravo, Mr. Bean, bravo. He is a magician, isn't he? 
I don't know how he, I mean, I know how he does it technically. And we'll talk about, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, this, this, this Bills team, I, I swore I wasn't going to go into the the signings, but I'll say this just on the surface because you can listen to the other great podcasts on Buffalo Rumblings for really in-depth analysis of the signings. But this is a brand new day in Buffalo. Who would have thought in 2016 when the team was enduring their playoff drought that veterans would leave money on the table to willingly come to Buffalo to pursue a Super Bowl. That's what's happening here. And by God, it's glorious, Jamie. Well, you can't tell us that culture doesn't mean anything. When you see this happening and people like Milano say, hey, I love these guys. I don't want to leave this team. Well, yeah, culture does mean something. When you get a good bunch of people together that are all really focused on one goal, that's what happens. You end up with other teams out there where, you know, you you don't keep people from the rookie contracts and everybody's in it for themselves. And that's not what you have here. Keeping people beyond their first contract is important in team building. And I'm happy that the Bills have been able to do it without killing their salary cap. I'm sure the Players Association isn't thrilled. I'm sure the Players Association saw Matt Milano making himself 15 to 16 million a year. And then the 11 million that he's getting, they're kind of upset with him about that because it doesn't push other salaries higher. But hey, we as fans get to keep our players and that makes me happy. Amen. Yes, there's some very creative wizardry being taking place behind the scenes when it comes to the cap. And it does. It takes a buy in. I mean, it takes, you know, Mario Addison restructuring his contract. Mitch Morse uh, severely restructured his contract. And we'll talk about him here coming up in the state of the offensive line series as part of our offseason discussions. But if those moves combined with the release of John Brown and the release of Quinton Jefferson don't happen, there is no way that Daryl Williams comes back to Buffalo along with Matt Milano. And the reason, Jamie, that I and you as well put out the trenches, the O-line and the D-line, in particular the offensive line, as the biggest area of concern was this. Heading into the offseason, legitimately, you could say the Bills only truly had one starter on the offensive line entrenched and guaranteed to be back. And that was, you ought to know, Deion Dawkins. We knew he was coming back as a left tackle after that contract extension that he signed, which kicks in starting this year. Other than that, the Bills could have parted ways with Mitch Morse, a thought that I, a, a notion I thought was ludicrous because why would you create yet another hole on a unit that has a lot of question marks to begin with? But there were thoughts the Bills were going to release Mitch Morse. There were thoughts the Bills were going to lose Daryl Williams and John Feliciano. And then you're going to be left with a patchwork offensive line and overspending in a market of free agency where there is just not a lot of talent without breaking the bank account. Now, Jamie, as we head into this offseason with the league year set to begin on Wednesday, the Bills can legitimately feel comfortable knowing that they've restructured Mitch Morris's deal to a much more team-friendly figure. They've got Dawkins back on the left side at left tackle. They've got Daryl Williams back at the right side. They're hoping Cody Ford can step up if anything were to happen with John Feliciano not coming back. And there's hope. There's actual hope that this offensive line is going to be, again, a unit of strength for this team. I, I love it, Jamie. I felt I feel a lot better. I feel a lot more assured of this offensive line 
just in having Daryl Williams back. If you bring Feliciano back, my God, I'm ready to go. Interesting you say that. Um, one thing that we, uh, one player that we didn't mention was Ike Butker, who's a restricted free agent who the Bills have not tendered a contract to. Because if they tendered a contract to him, the price tag would be about $2.15 million. So I think what they're trying to do there is sign him for less than that amount. But this is a guy who started a substantial number of games for the Bills. And, you know, there's still holes at those two guard positions because the Bills, uh, they have Ryan Bates on the roster and they've got a couple of other low-end dudes that, you know... You hope that if they need to, they can step up. But hope is not a plan. Hope is just that. You're, you're, you're crossing your heart and praying that it's going to work out. We need better than that. Well, I would hope, I would hope, Jamie, again, using that word you just bantied about there uh, when it comes to this position, that Bills fans have a little bit of faith in Brandon Bean. Um, he is, he, okay, so let's, let's dive right into this because as we mentioned, you know, the Bills now have their center, Mitch Morris, under contract, both starting tackles, Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams under contract. They also have, again, Cody Ford, who has been erratic and inconsistent and injury prone, but he's under contract along with swingman Ryan Bates, tackle Jordan Devy, and tackle Trey Adams, while Feliciano, Brian Winters, Tyan Shecky, and Ike Bucker are the pending free agents. There's four remaining free agents with Daryl Williams being locked up the bills and general manager Brandon Bean from day one of the off season have said they are going to address the offensive line. They want to be more efficient running the ball and they want to shore up the weaknesses on this offensive line, bringing in Daryl Williams, bringing him back after he signs that prove it contract last year, the one year deal, he gets three year contract extension, 14 million guaranteed, a total deal up to 28.2 million, 9.4 average salary per year. It's fairly in line with what the experts at Spot Track and Buffalo Rumblings and everywhere else were predicting for Daryl Williams's contract. I want to start, Jamie, with our analysis of the offensive line on Daryl Williams, the right tackle, who Buffalo Bills fans should realize, even though those numbers I gave you are pretty hefty in salary, they pale in comparison to what the big name free agents will get this offseason. And honestly, Jamie, this is really not a great deal for Daryl Williams unless he plays all three years. That, to me, is what makes this so great. If, if Daryl Williams, if, if he has somehow a bad 2021, the Bills can sever ties and be done and not be on the hook for all this guaranteed money in 22 and 23 that's going to further hamstrung their salary situation. Yeah, uh, Brandon Bean is very good at creating contracts in which the team has an out after a year or two. And that was another example of it. So what do you think about Daryl Williams's play, Jamie? What, um, what do you like? Because I can go through and we have the pro football focus numbers, you know, the bill, here's the bottom line. The bills were very good last year in pass protection. They were not very good in run blocking. Buffalo struggled in the run game. Technically it depends on which site you want to go to for reference, but the bills were below average in run blocking ranking just 20th in yards per rush. And they ranked anywhere from sixth to ninth in advanced metrics for their pass protection. 
What do you like about Daryl Williams and what he does to enhance this offensive line? Well, I think the strengths and weaknesses in the game of Daryl Williams is a microcosm of the Buffalo Bills line as a whole. Daryl Williams was an excellent pass blocker. Now, occasionally, speed rushers could get the best of him. That's pretty common in the NFL. Speed rushers are a lot to handle. Luckily, the way the NFL game has gone, quarterbacks get rid of the ball quickly. And, you know, you can you can overlook that. But Darrell Williams is not a good run blocker. There are there are games where you look at on film and he almost looks lost. He whiffs on his blocks. He doesn't hold them. He seems to block in the wrong gap sometimes, or he'll just run out and actually not make contact with anybody. It's like, no, what the heck is going on here? But Buffalo has a pass first offense, and that is going to be what they value the most. And that is exactly what they're getting. Darrell Williams is a former pro bowler. He may was he even an all pro at one point? He was a second team all pro in 2017 at right tackle. And even though when the Bills signed him last year, they actually thought he was going to compete at the guard position. And Bean has mentioned how surprised he was to be using him at the tackle spot and just how well he performed in 2020. I think, honestly, Jamie, the Bills got themselves a really good uh, player that they locked up again with Daryl Williams. I know there's issues, and you hit on some of his his weaknesses, but when you look at what he's able to bring, he's got these long arms that he uses to neutralize, again, the key edge rushers. I mean, we talked about when the Bills had to play the Broncos with Von Miller or TJ Watt with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, Daryl Williams, when he was tasked with keeping one of those edge rushers at bay, more often than not, he did. And that's what I really enjoy about Daryl Williams is his pass blocking. And you're right. He's not the best run blocker. The Bills do need to improve their run blocking. But when you're talking about someone like a Daryl Williams, who's a top 20 tackle, according to Pro Football Focus, who was ninth best in pass blocking last year, the Bills can't ask for their cake and eat it too when it comes to their linemen. Some of the linemen are only going to be really good at one area and hope they improve at another one. And to me, it's worth it to swallow Williams's inconsistencies in the run blocking for how strong of a pass blocker he is. Because again, if you looked at what they would have had to pay on the open market to replace him, or even worse, spending a top pick in the draft on a tackle, which is even more unknown, uh, I would much rather spend the money on Daryl Williams. And the only weakness I will say that the only the only area that I'd like to see Daryl do better at. So he improved dramatically uh, in 2020 from his last season uh, in 17 and 18 when he was fully healthy with regards to sacks allowed. He only gave up three sacks last year while playing more than 1000 offensive snaps, but he does have a room for improvement with his penalties. There were nine penalties called against him. That is a little bit troublesome. That's one of those areas that we, I really want to see the bills work with Daryl to improve upon because some of those penalties were just drive killers. And the second part of what I want to ask is if you're not going to improve the line through replacing somebody who is a liability, or at least appeared to us to be a liability in the running game, perhaps management is looking at the line as a whole and thinking that Daryl Williams was not the issue. Now, very interesting is one of the most 
popular players on the Buffalo Bills, one of Josh Allen's best friends, that's John Feliciano. The, the line was substantially better when Feliciano was on the field. We we all saw that. And he's the guy who plays next to Darrell Williams, playing the right guard position. Interestingly, the Bills have not re-signed John Feliciano yet. Is it possible that one of the guys who we like best, everybody likes John Feliciano, is it possible that Brandon Bean is looking at him as being the liability in the running game. It's interesting you pose that question, Jamie, because I, I'm i thinking if if I had my choice of bringing back either Feliciano or Daryl Williams, I probably would have gone with Daryl Williams, just given the fact of how hard it can be and how expensive it can be to fill that void at the right tackle spot. Whereas I think the Bills, if they don't, I could see, I would love it if Bean re-signs Feliciano to a Quentin Spain type deal of three years and 15 million, even though he's probably looking for more. Um, hopefully his comments about much like Milano, he loves Buffalo and wants to play for the Bills. Hopefully he'll give the Bills a little bit of a of a discount there. I don't necessarily know, like Feliciano to me, what worries me more than anything is, yes, the offensive line was dramatically better when he returned after that torn pectoral muscle injury, which he suffered right before training camp, there was a different attitude. There was different nastiness and the bills had a much more noticeable mean streak along their offensive line. But Feliciano is also one of those guys who did not close the season very well with his performances, especially in the playoffs. Um, He got beat pretty consistently versus the chiefs in the AFC championship game. He did not have a great game against the Colts uh, in the wild card round. So I w- I'm a little concerned about maybe his play deteriorating at the end of the season, but he is a better than you'd think run blocker. And he's definitely above average as a pass blocker too. So if, if anybody can find a way to bring Feliciano back on one of those, again, three year, 15, $16 million contracts, I'd be all for it. I don't necessarily think, Feliciano is the issue. I honestly think it's Ike Bucker having started seven or eight games at guard. He was definitely one of the reasons when you would see, I mean, the bills had, we talked about this on the running backs podcast, but the bills, when they ran the ball 10% of the time, it was a zero or a negative yardage play. And I'm guaranteeing you a lot of that was the pressure that the guards were facing. And you give Brian Winters and Ike Butker a lot of the quote unquote credit for having a calamitous type play at the guard spots, more so than Feliciano, in my humble opinion. Interestingly, Pro Football Focus rated Ike Butker as a better blocker overall than John Feliciano on this past season, which was really a shock to a lot of people. But when we talk about the issues in the running game, and there is no way we aren't going to deal with that in spades here uh, when talking about the offensive line. One of the major issues was that they were not necessarily putting putting the offensive line in their best position to succeed. And we've talked about this on the show before, but they were running a lot of zone blocking schemes. And that is not what this line was built for. This line was built for power runs and, and offensive linemen pulling. For example, Mitch Morris, tremendous pulling to lead block in front of the running back. Not good at zone blocking a defensive tackle who's 
you know, 30, 50 pounds larger than he is. That's just, that's not what he does well. And unfortunately, that's not what the Bills were calling. This upcoming season, if they want to improve the offensive line, they have to go back to a power blocking scheme. Now, what do they have to do when it comes to personnel is make sure that they they have the players who excel at that sort of blocking scheme. You know, you can't have a mixture of guys that that do you know power blocking versus zone blocking well because it just it doesn't make sense. You're no matter what you run, you're going to have a weakness on it. So from a personnel standpoint, they need to make a decision and commit to it. And with that, you will see an improvement in the run game. It's interesting you talk about the the power blocking and um, the the schemes that the Bills want to run when it comes to running the ball. Because if you take that logic and extend it, the Bills would have probably wanted to move on from Mitch Morse because he's not the perfect fit for the power blocking scheme that they used at the end of the season. So... I've got to figure that the Bills are going to be ad- adapting and adjusting their run schemes to fit Morris's strengths because as much and Morris, what worries me more about anything with Mitch Morris is his pension for concussions. He's had at least three of them yes. um, in his career, if not more of the undocumented ones that happen just in the line of being a pro football player. Um, but when he's healthy, Um, which I think a lot of fans were not sure about this year. Remember, he was that healthy scratch for the Cardinals game when Feliciano came back and took over the starting center duties. I like Mitch Morris. I like what he brings to the table. I especially like the fact that he helped them save $3 million on their cap situation by reducing his base salary and reducing his in-game bonuses and his guaranteed money. It took him from being the fifth highest salary cap hit among all centers to a much more manageable figure uh, with that savings out there. But I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't buy into it, Jamie. And I'm not saying you're saying this, but I don't buy into the argument that the Bills would have been a better team with Mitch Morse gone. I still feel that he is someone who brings enough contributions to significantly upgrade the center spot versus what you would get in free agency. Convince me that I'm right or wrong. Uh, you're 100% right. Because the film on Mitch Morris is not bad. And you can look it up on the Buffalo Rumblings website, Scarecrow. Jeff Kantrowski does a great job of breaking down film. Um, And there's been some recent articles about that. He's good. I mean, he's he's, um, very sound when it comes to assignments. He gets out in the run game. He's able to hit moving targets. What he doesn't do incredibly well is anchor against power rushers that are much larger than him. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. You have a very mobile quarterback. Um, I would like to see him pushed backwards less frequently, especially in short yardage situations. But, you know, the Bills should be running not 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 up the middle. They they should be using him as a lead blocker and running more toward the edge. And that's what's going to work better for this offensive line. The off-tackle plays need to use him as the lead blocker going through the hole. Um, Mitch Morris is, he's a leader on the team and he showed that by taking a pay cut in order to stay. Um, convince you one way or the other? Well, you're smarter than I am. So I don't know if I have the ability to do that. However, uh, I, I feel very strongly that a replacement of Mitch Morris 
would not have been as good as what the Bills currently have, keeping that continuity is far preferable. It absolutely is. It's one of those things where, and I, I trust, again, the Bills brass, that they will look at their positional players and say, all right, we know that Mitch is more of an athletic center versus a smash you in the face, uh, hard-nosed, up-the-middle types of runs that you might have had with Eric Wood uh, under center. So if the Bills can adjust to that and they know that they have athletic tackles again in Darrell Williams and Deion Dawkins out there, like I, I don't, I'm, I'm not as worried now again about the offensive line, at least at those positions out there, knowing that Deion Dawkins is a stud and that Darrell Williams is, if he does somehow suck in 2021, the bills can get out from under it, but I don't think he's going to regress. I feel like William showed more than enough this year to make himself a valuable commodity. So I'm very set with the outside of the bills offensive line. Where my concerns, Jamie, come in are the interior play of the guards. And we talked about Feliciano. I feel like we gave him kind of a fairly good assessment where he's more popular than he is talented. He's never going to be a top 10, top 15 guard in the league, but he's versatile enough. He does enough things well when it comes to especially his pass protection that and, and he's not a terrible run blocker. I feel like he's one of those guys who he's a better um, you know, he, he's one of those very balanced offensive linemen where he he get, gives you good run blocking, better than average pass blocking, and he's a physical presence. My main question mark on the offensive line, if the Bills lose John Feliciano, I think they'll find a guard, whether through the draft or through the bargain basement rounds of free agency. Because remember, Daryl Williams and John Feliciano were bargain basement fines that being brought in and far exceeded expectations of the fans Cody Ford to me is really the question mark I I don't know I it, what do you think about the former second round pick out of Oklahoma he's been inconsistent in his first two years in the league he's unable to stay healthy at times he can play both guard spots and the right tackle spot but right now in this situation if he is going to be assumed to be a guard because obviously the tackle spots are both secured with Williams and Dawkins out there, what exactly should Brandon Bean do? I mean, obviously Cody Ford's coming back. He's under a rookie contract, very team friendly, but what would you think about the confidence level in Ford? And do you think he can bounce back? First of all, I'm so glad that the Cody Ford as a tackle conversation is now done. He wasn't a tackle. He should have never been at tackle. And when they moved him to guard, I was just, I was thrilled. He doesn't have the movement skills to play on the outside. So Cody Ford is a strong guy. He's a good run blocker. He's very strong at the point of attack. And if you look at film on that guy, you see him pancaking folks. You also see a guy who struggles with counter moves, uh, players that start going one direction and moving across his face. Um, he's not necessarily great at dealing with stunts and knowing exactly where his assignment is. He looks far more comfortable on the left side at guard than he did on the right side. That's good. And honestly, the injury this year really set him back. He needed the experience going into next season and he just didn't get that. He's a concern for me and I'm not sure we know what we're going to have until this upcoming season. He'll have a year and a half 
of playing in the NFL, but really only a few games playing at the right guard spot. But the talent is there. Talent evaluators still think that Cody Ford can be a strong NFL player. He needs to clean some things up. He needs to learn some more technique. But anybody who's that strong, who can move defensive tackles the way he does, has a potential for being a good player in the NFL. It's just it's going to take some development at a relatively new position for him. But left guard, if he's going to be successful, this is the position where it's going to happen. And I'm glad to see him there. One of the things, and you mentioned this, Jamie, about Cody Ford that made him so desirable coming out of Oklahoma is the dude is a mauler. I mean, he pancakes dudes, he gets after guys, he knocks them on their asses, and he's especially physical. He's a really powerful, powerful guard who can assert his will when he reads the play right, when he reads the recognitions and and identifies where the blitzers, where the pressure's coming from. One of Cody's biggest problems, however is his first step or his first read. A lot of times on these plays, especially when he's dealing with someone who is a little bit quicker than he is, he struggles. He makes the wrong first step. He makes the wrong first read. Or even worse, the plays when he has his head down and he just gets torched um, by one of the guys who's bull rushing him. Now, it didn't cause him any sacks to get allowed in the 2020 season, But that's definitely something to be concerned with is Ford getting better at his initial reaction to what the defense is throwing his way. But I like his athleticism. I love his physicality. And I really think he is the key. You asked me earlier about Feliciano and whether he might be the weak link in the run blocking. I feel if Cody Ford plays to his potential and what the Bills saw when they drafted him high in the second round – The Bills run blocking, especially on if he plays the left guard spot or he plays the right guard spot. I think he's going to be a value add when it comes to the run blocking because he's going to be fully healthy for probably the first time in his Bills career. And knowing that he's got the consistency of who's around him with a veteran like Daryl Williams, a veteran like Deion Dawkins and a veteran like Mitch Morse. I think the pressure is off Cody Ford. He can just play. He can maul dudes. I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings. Yeah, it's it's a talented player, and we're not going to know until we see more of him. But yeah, he's he's somebody that I'm I'm still high on. I the the talent is there. Can can he pull it all together? I mean, that's what you always hope. But talk about a process guy. The dude's personality is fantastic. You you can see that in interviews, even in the draft, the way he was just kind of strutting around on the stage. It was, he seems like a fun guy and he seems coachable too. You know, you have to, you, you have to be pretty selfless in order to try playing three different positions. How many players out there would say, Nope, I'm a tackle. I'm going to stay a tackle. You're not moving me. I'm not, not playing guard. It's out there because Tackles make more money. He is sitting there saying, hey, put me where you want me, and we're going to make it work. Also, I have a question for you that's not about him. All right, fire away. Why is Deion Dawkins Snowman? How do you get that nickname? He, um, if you, if you look on his, uh, his social media, you know, he's always one of those guys who is putting out there some, some popular, you know, he's got marketing people, 
you ought to snow. You already snow. Maybe I'm not saying it properly, but um, oh, you he are. has this catchphrase out there. I'm not necessarily sure the um, the, the the references as to where he actually came up with the already snow or you ought to snow comments. Um, actually, you know what? I've got it right here. Real time research. The Buffalo Bills asked him, where did snowman come from? And he goes, I was in prep school and I said it one time, the guys kept questioning it. They would say, what's snow? And I was like, if they're questioning it, then everybody else will question it. And that means it will draw a little bit more attention to myself as a big guy. So I just kept it going. I kept it because as a big guy, I have to do things differently to be that type of players. So apparently it's a prep school thing. And it, you know, I thought there was some maybe tie-ins to uh, the Buffalo weather and he played at Temple where it was cold and snowy and therefore the snowman would come from. But it's probably part of a combination of his uh, his accent and just his fun, loving, larger than life personality that we've got the snowman. Dude does have a good personality too, doesn't he? Yeah, I was with you. I assumed that it came from uh, from Buffalo weather, but okay. So he just did it to kind of mess with people. And self, uh, self promote a little bit. I mean, he's got some t-shirts out there and I I love, by the way, every time he writes for the players tribune, one of those columns, it's really must read. It's, you know, the first time I read his article, I'm like, this dude is cool. And he's done it each season since then. Oh, love it. And you know what? He's a good player. Who's going to be in Buffalo for a while. You know, Buffalo has through the years had a knack for landing quality left tackles completely opposite of the right tackle position which they always seem to struggle to fill but you know what he's the next in a a a decent line of good players and you know he's not ever going to be considered the one of the best in the league but he is always going to be considered a solid player who's going to handle his assignments well. He's not going to get too many penalties. He's just a good, solid football player. And I and I like his personality. Personally, he's one of my favorites on the team. Oh, there's no if I ever were to buy an offensive lineman jersey, you ought to know the answer. It's going to be Deion Dawkins' <laughs> 73. Well done. <laughs> well and I do like how, you know, he he's one of those. We haven't talked about Dion too much. So before we get to the rest of the reserves, Dion is such, again, another balanced lineman. He's got the power and the athleticism mix where whatever the Bills ask him to do, he does it. He handles the best blindside edge rushers one on one week in and week out. And I believe he only gave up. He gave up six sacks. But for a unit that you know passes so much. Josh Allen only got sacked 26 times last year compared to Deshaun Watson getting sacked 49 times and Russell Wilson getting sacked in the 50s. Deion Dawkins is a major reason why Josh Allen continues to evolve because he gives him the confidence that the blind side is going to be taken care of. And I just I I love the future knowing that Deion Dawkins is going to be manning that left tackle spot. And you know what? He's a really good run blocker, too. We don't really give him a lot of credit because the unit was down in 2020, but it wasn't Dawkins' fault that the run blocking suffered. No. In fact, they often run the ball very well to the left side, and it's up behind Deion Dawkins. Now, I I wish that they could get somebody of Richie Incognito's ilk 
to uh, play the left guard position because they were particularly good with the two of them next to each other. But I do not want Richie incognito. <laughs> no, 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 no. Even though apparently Dion was trying to recruit the former Bill and former Raider to potentially come to Buffalo again. I hope that that does not does not happen. Now, when you talk about the guard spots and let's go through rapid fire, the rest of the offensive linemen uh, out here. I'll start with the under contract guys. Um, actually, no, I'll start with the pending free agents and tell me what you would do with them. And we'll start with the guy you've mentioned previously. It's Ike Bucker, who is a restricted free agent. The Bills have the right of first refusal. A contract for him, I think, is going to be $2.15 or $2.2 million is what they would have to offer Bucker, who started seven games at guard last year. What are your thoughts on Bucker? I think you need to bring him back, but at a better deal than what you would get if you uh, if if you tagged him. Well, not tagged him, but if you offered him the restricted free agent price. And I think that's what they're trying to do. I think a fair price for him is probably half of that. He did start seven games. He's shown some versatility and potential. I'd like to see him back in a Bills uniform. I would too. He, but he's one of those players who's not irreplaceable. You know, if he ends up getting a you know more than a $2 million contract, I would say bye-bye, and you can find someone to fill that backup guard uh, position. Um, if they lose Feliciano and Bucker, then the Bills are definitely going to be turning towards the interior of the O-line in the draft and potentially in free agency. I like what Bucker did this year. He showed a lot of improvements. Um, he proved to be a valuable seventh or eighth you know, option on the offensive line, but he's not a top five guy. He's definitely not a starter. If they can bring him back at a lower rate, awesome. We'll be more than happy bringing him back for 2021, but I'm not, it's not sure what the market's going to be like in this uncertain era for a guy like Ike Bucker, who has bounced around from the bills and the Steelers. And really this is his first chance of success uh, with what he had with Buffalo in 2020. Yeah, I'm with you. It's got to be at the right price. And for me, that caps out at about a million. Now, another guy who has bounced around uh, between two teams last year, uh, but he did not fare anywhere near as well as Butker. Butker, I was stunned, Jamie, when you mentioned this, that he was the 36th ranked guard uh, by Pro Football Focus, ranking ahead of Feliciano, who was 39th. A guy who came nowhere near that productivity and really was a turnstile when it came to getting pressure on the Bills was Brian Winters. I was fooled completely. I should have realized when the Jets cut him that there's no way he had anything left in the tank. But the Bills, with Feliciano Hurt, brought in Winters to see what he could do. He gave up three sacks in 616 offensive snaps. Feels like more, but he definitely gave up a ton of of hurries and, and pressure on Josh Allen. He was graded 63rd out of 80 guards last year. I'm not going to cry any tears if Winters is gone, and I'm assuming you're with me as well. Uh, I can sum up my feelings on what to do with Brian Winters in two words. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> good, good, good riddance to bad garbage. I mean, that's basically, you know, Winters was clearly the weakest link on the offensive line. Um, you know, when Ford goes down to injury and the Bills are like, you know what, Brian, why don't you just sit this one out? We're we're better off having other players uh come in and, and see time on the offensive line. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's welcome to go and pursue whatever he can get on the open market. 
Another one of those veterans who is facing free agency is Tyan Shecky, the tackle. Uh, I know he was a great success story coming over from the Washington football team. What he did, you know, filling in last year, he really didn't play that much at all. I don't think he ever had more than eight snaps in a game at tackle. He's going to be 36 in October. I'm assuming you're comfortable saying goodbye to Tyan Shecky. I don't know, because when he's on the field, he's actually a very good player. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him, but he is getting old. You know, at 36 years old, you're not the same player you were at 33 when the Bills picked him up. So I I would actually like to keep him, but at a vet minimum salary. Um, yeah, I, I think he's probably replaceable, but a tackle that can play both sides of the line and can do a good job, come in in a pinch, that's not easy to come by. But again, the price has to be right. Also, if you can find a younger guy, say in the draft, that you can develop for the future, that would be good. Because the Bills, they are a little bit old at the offensive line positions, and you do need some younger bodies in there. So what I see happening is this. Buffalo either drafting somebody in the first three rounds who can be the swing tackle, or if they don't, perhaps bring back Inseki for a vet minimum. I would be fine if it was a vet minimum deal, but I just don't know. I mean, 36 years old for a tackle at some point, although he is a young 36 because he really didn't play a lot earlier in his career with the Raiders and with Washington. His first real significant success was with Washington and with Buffalo as a part-time starter in 2019. So, you know, we'll see if he can come back for a veteran minimum deal. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I'm with you. The Bills do need to get younger on the offensive line. Now, you'll recall, Jamie, when we were talking about the state of the Bills and doing this preview podcast, I teased ahead that I thought there was a key member of the offensive line that I was looking forward to seeing what he would bring uh, if given an opportunity. I really feel, and I might be delusional, this might be like my Robert Foster breakout prediction um, from two years ago when he was a complete dud after that awesome season with the bills. I am really excited for what Ryan Bates can do for this Buffalo bills team. I don't know why, but for some reason I've talked myself into Bates being a really a valuable swing man who he could easily step in. I feel like, and, and, and fill in. I mean, he's not someone you want to play every down, but if he's your swing guy, if he's your guy who's able to come in, and really, you know, step in at guard if he needs to, or step in at the center position if he needs to, or even, you know, he was a sixth tackle uh, this year too. He's got the versatility. I feel like he costs you nothing. I don't know. Maybe I'm delusional, but I feel like Ryan Bates, this could be the year he has his opportunity. Well, I'm glad you said you didn't know why you feel that way, because that was going to be my first question. Why do you feel so strongly about this guy who we haven't seen? (laughs) But I, I feel like he's kind of like... There's this, he's almost like an enigma, right? Like he was with Philadelphia and everybody in the Phillies and the Eagles camp gave him all this credit for, oh, he's a real up and coming talent. He just needs that opportunity to play. And he hasn't fully gotten that every day, every down opportunity. I believe he only had 82 offensive snaps for the Bills last year, but there's something about the team really likes him. And that might be my biggest confidence if the team really likes his versatility, the fact that he can play all five of the positions, even though he's mostly a tackle or a center, 
I don't know. I, I guess I want to see what 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 Bean and McDermott see that give them the confidence because I'll I'll go along with it. I mean, the cost is nothing. He's making he's on the final year of his rookie contract. If he gets cut, there's zero dead cap charge. Uh, he's making 850k. So I don't know. I feel comfortable with him being one of those swing guys uh, that's going to cost you nothing. I thought it was potentially telling when Cody Ford got hurt that Bates came in for one series and then was replaced by Butker. Um, I I think that the Bills offensive line, the way they like to operate is to get the five best on the field, or at least what they think is the five best. We know that didn't work out when Brian Winters was out there. (laughs) No, it did not. (laughs) They chose to go with Butker over Bates. Maybe they felt like Butker is a more natural guard than maybe Bates is. But why do they put him in for one series before taking him out? I I really don't know. And, you know, the Eagles traded him for Eli Harold, who, you know, is a defensive lineman who's really done nothing. So I really, I, I'm just going to put it this way. I have no idea. I don't have enough information other than knowing that the Bills brass seem to like him. They like his versatility. Um I wouldn't be surprised if he gets cut, traded, re- or, or ends up starting. I, I just don't know. He really is that kind of runs the gamut of, of of possibilities of what he could contribute. And there is so much uncertainty around Ryan Bates. that It'll be fun to see what develops with training camp and what he's able to do to, to establish himself as, again, that valuable swingman. The last two guys, Jamie, real quick, any thoughts on the former highly hyped prospect Trey Adams the tackle who was once viewed as a potential top five draft choice and also tackle Jordan Devy, who was signed to a one-year deal uh, this offseason. Do you expect anything out of these guys? I kind of feel like Adams is a version of Bates where if he can tap into what made him such a highly touted prospect at Washington, uh, and then he fell all the way to being an undrafted free agent in the rookie class, but he could be something the Bills could get out of. Well, the reason Trey Adams dropped the way he did was a string of injuries that just destroyed his legs and his knees. And um, he even had at one point a lower back injury. So he's really still in the process of rehabbing his body. So we don't know if he can ever get back to what he was. We, we see it all the time in sports where a player consistently gets injured and just can't perform on the level they did uh, ahead of their bad luck. And that's where Trey Adams is, but they kept him on the practice squad because they, they know what he did have originally and maybe they can get him there. We're, we're hoping he can, Um, you know, that would be a guy who you'd like to see develop and get back to the potential that, that he once had. As for Debbie, he's an older player. Um, he's somebody who I think they would prefer to move on from. Uh, but you know, we don't have an awful lot of information on either one of them. Um, Debbie has played some downs in the NFL, never at a, a terribly high level, but the bills do like their veterans. They, they like guys that they feel can understand their system and that they can trust to be in the right place at the right time, even if physically they're not, uh, the most talented. So Debbie has a chance to make the roster as a swing tackle. Um, I think they're probably looking to replace him with somebody younger and with a little more talent. Well, hopefully, Jamie, this has been an exercise in cautious and guarded optimism because I actually feel a little better about this positional analysis 
than I thought I was going to heading into our podcast. I feel like, especially again, the caveat of the Bills bringing back Daryl Williams did wonders to ease some of my concerns. I'm still skeptical. They're, the Bills need to bolster their run blocking, and it's all going to come down to the schemes that they choose to run um, when it comes to their run blocking. I feel like the Bills have the horses now, and the best part about re-signing Matt Milano and re-signing Daryl Williams is the Bills can now turn to getting an offensive guard, maybe not number 30, uh, depending on who's available in the first round, but definitely in the first two or three rounds, the Bills can use some draft capital to assess the guard position because that, to me, is the biggest weakness when it comes to this unit, all pending, of course, what happens with John Feliciano. They need younger bodies and competition all across the board because we've seen what good offensive lines can do for a quarterback and for a run game, and the Bills need to be that because... If the offensive line proves to be excellent all the way around over the course of the season, now they weren't they weren't bad this past year, but if they can become a top-notch unit that opens up time for Josh Allen to throw the ball, for the running backs to run the ball, and you'll really see those weapons on the outside play even better than they did this past year. The offense could be even better than when they scored a franchise record 501 points in the 2020 season. Well, Jamie, that'll put a nice little bow on our State of the Offensive Line podcast. We implore you to get involved on social media. Give us your thoughts. Are we completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when it comes to our offensive line thoughts? You know, what should the Bills do at the offensive line position with their remaining salary cap space and the draft? And get involved with us. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico on Twitter. I am at John Boccasino. You can also give us some comments on our articles on buffalorumblings.com. We will be back breaking down the state of the defensive line, another area that's in flux and has a lot of question marks coming up next week on our episode of Believe a Buffalo Bills Fan Podcast.